This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 80 is here from the Subway to Shea studios in my office. Episode 80 means we are 20 episodes away from 100th, our landmark 100th episode. I'm very excited as we count down to that big 100th episode. I don't know if by the time we get to the playoffs, if that will be episode 100. Either way, I'm very excited. I'm very excited that you're along with this journey with me covering our favorite team, the New York Mets. And we got to get right into what has happened over the past week. And, you know, Tuesday, I'll tell you a little bit about experience before we get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast episode. Tuesday, I went to the opening game of the Mets-Dodgers series. And, you know, I filled out a survey to get free tickets of any choice of any game to go to. And I chose Tuesday against the Dodgers. You know, I wanted to choose a game that was on a weekday and didn't have any giveaways because the last couple of games that I went to, you have the David Wright Funko Pop game, you have Keith Hernandez retirement game, and you can count Old Timers Day as well. Every game that I've been to has been an event so far. And anytime you go to these games, there's always either a lot of traffic long lines and I said you know what let's pick a weekday game a weeknight game early on in the week and you know maybe there won't be as much traffic no there won't be any issues getting in so I picked Tuesday against the Dodgers the opening game of the series Taiwan Walker was pitching the next day Jake was going to pitch so maybe that game would have been you know filled and sold out and lines waiting outside the door and traffic and all that stuff what I failed to realize at the time I booked these tickets, was I forgot that the U.S. Open was on across the street. And I'm a huge U.S. Open fan. I love tennis as well. But I totally forgot that those two weeks, the Mets were home and also the U.S. Open was happening. So going in Tuesday, sat in the long traffic, got in around the fourth inning. So I missed the lines getting in to City Field because so much traffic getting there. They made us park by the marina very far, but It almost was better to park in the marina because it put us quickly on the highway home. I had no problems getting out, and I was not stuck in the parking lot like I was on Old Timers Day. I know they played the Dodgers, but I didn't think it would be sold out on a Tuesday night, especially with Jacob deGrom going the next night. But it was great to see the Mets fans pack the house. It was a playoff atmosphere. Timmy Trumpets was there. We didn't get Narcos on Tuesday, but we did hear him play take me out to the ball game in the seventh inning. Moral of this story, take public transportation this weekend for the National Series. I know it's the Nationals, and I know they're in last place, but take public transportation, and if not, if you are driving to the game, leave extra early. And I mean extra early because the U.S. Open is going on across the street. 
Now, when we went in, I think Rafa Nadal was playing, and he's one of the biggest stars in all of tennis. And a lot of the night games is going to be that. You're going to get Nadal. You're going to get Serena Williams, who, you know, if you're going to the game on Friday, Serena Williams might have her last match in tennis, and you you might be in a lot of traffic trying to get to the game. So leave early if you're driving. Take public transportation if you're not driving, and just get to the game safely and have a good time. Enjoy yourself. And, you know, with that said, like I said, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. I left you last episode previewing the huge series against the best team in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers. There's no way around it. They have the best record in all of baseball, and they have just been killing it. And that's without Clayton Kershaw for most of the season. That is without Walker Bueller, who they've lost for the entire season. So the Dodgers have been dealing with injuries themselves, but they've found ways to win. They got one of the best players in all of baseball, Mookie Betts. They got Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, probably three of the best players in baseball. Some can consider those three in the top 10. So it's a really good team. And the Mets were not intimidated, not one bit. And not only did they take the three-game set, but the season series as well. Mets took two out of three from the Los Angeles Dodgers this week. Four and three, and the season series had all the makings of a playoff series, and it delivered. Each game, this series has pretty much delivered. And in this three-game set, each game was won by two runs or less. The Dodgers took game one, four to three, and of course, that's the game I had to go to, and it's not I shouldn't go to City Field because I'm two and two so far. I'm a good 500 at City Field this season. Game two, these are the two games right here. Game two, the Mets won two to one, and game three, they won five to three, and you know, I don't like to go game by game doing all the breakdown and all the analysis. We're not going to do that here, but we're going to take a look at all the highlights, the biggest highlights and takeaways from this game and before I discuss some of the concerns because all in all this was a positive series and we should be pumped with this result so we're going to start in game two with not just because the Mets won but it had that game of the year type feel from it and I know there's the combined no-no the comeback in Philly but this was different against the Dodgers a tight game with your ace on the mound it was a playoff atmosphere this game had it all, and it begins with the catch. Brandon Nimmo, with not only the play of the game, but quite possibly the catch of the year. I don't know about you, but I cursed so loud after I saw that catch. It was an Andy Chavez-esque catch. You know, Andy Chavez game seven in the 2006 NLCS. It was a game-saving catch, but, you know, the Mets ended up losing it anyway. So, Brandon Nimmo robbed Justin Turner of a home run. Save the game for Jacob deGrom. Not only his catch, but his energy afterwards. Definitely feeding off of the raucous playoff-like crowd that was at City Field on Wednesday. I've watched the video over and over and over again, and I'm pretty sure you have as well. Looking at Brandon Nimmo, we know what we get from him offensively. Bats 266, got 12 home runs, 45 RBIs. He doesn't steal any bases, and that's, you know, for a leadoff hitter, that's, I don't know. I it, That may be one of the only flaws I see in Brandon Nimmo's game. If you're a leadoff hitter, you got to steal some bases. He has 
no stolen bases this season. And he's only had 20 in his entire career. Last seven games for Brandon Nimmo, batting 308, slugging 500. I mean, he has been playing so well. He's had his ups and downs, but he's been healthy for the most part. And that's what we've wanted, right? We wanted to see if he could play a full season. And this may be his official coming out party, right? This may be what is the difference between the Mets signing him and not. And I hope that they do consider doing that. Look at him defensively. Look how much he's improved in center field. You know, when they signed Starling Marte, I thought he'd be in center field, but Mets management played this right. Looking at what we've seen so far from the two of them, from Starling Marte and Brandon Nimmo, you look at what has gone down. And I've come to the observation that Marte may not have made it through a full season if he was in center field. Center field requires speed, which he does have, and a lot of running. And with his, you know, hamstring and quad as sensitive as it is right now, and all that ground he would have to cover. You know, for Marte, considering what we know, like I said, about his legs right now, he probably would be hurt for most of the season. You watch him run to first on a ground ball, and sometimes he'll bust it out, Sometimes he doesn't run it out, especially if he knows he will be out because he's trying to preserve his legs and it's worked. And I am not saying that he doesn't play hard or he doesn't hustle because he's one of the best players on this team. He's probably having the best year out of any Met offensively. When was the last time we've seen an offensive player on this team back close to 300 or over 300 and have power and speed? Could it be since maybe David Wright? or maybe even Carlos Beltran, that all-around 5-2 player. We've talked about how last year the Mets manager and coaches failed to put their players in position to succeed. I must have mentioned it last season once every episode. And for those of you who have stuck with me since the beginning, you probably have heard me repeat this over and over and over again. But last year, Mets manager Louis Rojas and that coaching staff failed to put their players in position to succeed. And we're getting the total opposite in 2022 with Buck Showalter at the helm. And this right here between Starling Marte and Brandon Nimmo, that's a great example. Buck and co. have managed to maximize both Brandon Nimmo and Starling Marte's abilities, strengths, and health. And that's all you can ask for. A full season of Brandon Nimmo a full season of Starling Marte, even at maybe 95, 97, 90% has been what this Mets team has needed to get to where they are right now and be on that pace to have that second best record in franchise history. And you were talking about Brandon Nimmo and the game that he had lost in that victory was another solid performance from the Mets ace, Jacob deGrom. Seven innings pitched, three hits, One earned run, one walk, nine strikeouts. I mean, look at what Jacob deGrom has done in his return here. He's 4-1 with a 1.98 ERA in six games that he started. 36 and a third innings pitched, 55 strikeouts, a whip of 55. What more can you have asked for Jacob deGrom in his return? 
He's literally been out for an entire year, an entire calendar year. And if you're expecting him to throw 14, 15 strikeout games right now, pitch eight, nine innings, that's not going to happen. He may build himself up like he did against the Dodgers where he had his first game throwing seven full innings pitched. He may be able to work himself up to maybe getting into the eighth inning by the time October comes. But coming back from a year off, and expecting him to be that first half pitcher as soon as he comes back, that's not realistic. I think he's gone above and beyond. And I want to take it as slow with him as possible because when we need him the most, we'll be in the end of September and quite possibly October if this team makes the playoffs. And I'm never going to, you know, fully commit until we kind of get close to maybe 10 games where that countdown begins to the Mets making the playoffs. I want to be as fair as possible because we know that the Braves are just as good as the Mets are. And We've seen in the past that anything can happen. I'm leaning more towards the Mets making the playoffs, absolutely. But I don't want to lock it in because we still have over a month's worth of games. And we'll get into the games later on in this podcast. But you look back, I think Nate Mendelson had a tweet in about Jacob deGrom's first month back from injury. And he goes on to say that his spectacular month from this injury and coming back and having the month that he's had, here are his ranks among starters with at least 20 innings pitched. 55 strikeouts, he's first. ERA, he's 14th with 1.98. A whip of 55, he's first. His strikeout rate, 43%, first. His walk rate, 2.3, third. On base percentage against, 156, he's first. And innings pitched, he's 12th. And we talked about why. Coming back from a year off, you don't just throw him in there and expect him to throw eight, nine innings. You don't want him to get hurt again and lose him for the rest of the season. This is the first real big injury that Jacob deGrom has had to deal with in his career. And we did lose him in 2016, but look at 2017, 18, 19, pitched full seasons. So you want Jake to be healthy and in prime position as we head to October. That's when we're going to need him the most. The game had it all, right? DeGrom pitched very well. He had the catch. And then Timmy Trumpet plays Narco during Edwin Diaz's entrance. And the first thought for me is, boy, Edwin better not blow this one. And what does he do? He sets the Dodgers down in order. It's a different Edwin Diaz. This Narco Diaz this season has been absolutely amazing. It was really cool to see Narco done live and bring some much needed entertainment to baseball, something that has been missing, I feel like, especially, you know, during breaks and innings. I I thought that this was done very well. I don't want them to overdo it. That That's one thing. I don't want them to overdo it, but it was really fun to see. I'm pretty sure when we get to October, we probably will see Timmy Trumpet again. He even mentioned it, but Timmy was pumped. He loves seeing it, he repped the Mets. It seems to really pump up Edwin Diaz. He feeds off that energy from that song. He feeds off the crowd and is having the best season of his career. And let's also talk about Francisco Lindor, right? Because Francisco Lindor has been struggling over the last couple of weeks. And he returned to form this series. His bat woke up. He was batting 500 
this series. And in an important series against the Los Angeles Dodgers, it was great to see Francisco Lindor step up to the plate and be an important part of this team, not only on offense, but on defense. I don't know if you saw that behind-the-arm throw that he did to second base to end the inning. Uh, Francisco Lindor, right where we need him, getting back on track. And you know, his bat woke up, but now we get into the concerns from this series. And although his bat woke up, the offense is still struggling with runners in scoring position. Let's look at the three games. 0 for 4, 0 for 3, and 2 for 8. I mean, this team has got to get going offensively. They were doing well right out of the All-Star break and have now seemed to have hit that slump. Pete Alonso is hitting his biggest slump of the year. You look at what he's done over the last month he's batting 237 his last 15 games batting 217 we really need Pete Alonso to get through this this slump that he's going in and I you know he always adjusts he's always adjusted whether offensively or defensively so I have no doubt he will but he may need a day off maybe give him a day to rest the offense goes as Lindor and Alonso goes because the bottom of the order is almost an automatic out You have Eduardo Escobar and James McCann barely contributing, and it makes it feel like there's only seven men on the roster. The trade deadline acquisitions have cooled off with Darren Ruff not really taking off. We know what Daniel Vogelback has done. He's provided the most out of the offense, and even Tyler Naquin, although struggling now, at the beginning, I mean, he was hitting home runs, he was getting big hits, he was hitting the ball hard, now he's striking out a lot. But Darren Ruff has not really gotten himself started with the Mets. And surprisingly, the Mets are not giving their September call-ups to Mark Vientos. I was surprised by it. They are going to go with infielder Devin Marrero and Adonis Medina to help out in the bullpen. And here's what Billy Epler said. He goes, ultimately, it is a decision based on roster construction, handedness, and defensive objectives. It's kind of the sum of all those three elements. And that's how he was explaining why Mark Vientos is not coming up. Because you want Mark Vientos up here for his bat, right? We know that he's not that great of a third baseman from what we've heard. Um... He could probably play a little first base. Most likely, he's DHing. 23 home runs this year, 71 RBIs, and batting 282. I don't know why they're keeping him down. Obviously, you know, Darren Ruff, who's, I guess, because he's a veteran and they're hoping that he gets out of it. And that's the reason why he's here because I think that Mark Vientos could possibly give this offense a jolt. Why keep him down? But. You know, they didn't trade him for a reliever or anyone else during the trade deadline. They held on to him. And my first thought was, hey, maybe they're bringing him up to be that offensive bat, that DH from the right side to hit lefties. But then they brought in Darren Ruff. So Mark Viento stayed down. Now that September's around, is Viento's going to come up? No. The only thing I could think of, and this is probably my biggest prediction, and that is he must be trade bait for a Shohei Otani trade in the offseason. I mean, what else would you be holding on to him for? If he has no position, if he's not, like, where where are you going to put him? I'm pretty sure they're just going to hang on to Darren Ruff. This is the team. This is the team that we're going to have right now. And they prioritize defense to go along with that pitching. That's why they brought in Marrero. So we'll see how this works out, if it works out. Billy seems to want to stick with his guys, right? Because brought in Darren Ruff. 
brought in Vogel back, brought in Naquin, traded for Joely Rodriguez. These are his guys. So he wants to see them turn it around. And I hope that they do. I really do. And speaking of Joely Rodriguez, that leads to another concern, and that's the bullpen. The left-handed pitching, which is only Joely Rodriguez, and we had Jason Shreve earlier, but man, it's been so bad. And and I like Joely Rodriguez as a person. He's funny, and he has a great personality, but that doesn't help with the production during the game. He has been so bad this season, and you look at what he has done. I mean, 0-4 with a 5.17 ERA over the last seven games, ERA over 540. The last 15 games, ERA over 552. Last 30 games, 561. Can he at least get to under five? Can we get him in the fours? I would feel more confident if we got him into the fours. But if he's going to continue to pitch this way, could that open up room for Nate Fisher? And I'm not going to say David Peterson since he kind of struggled with bullpen duty when he was called upon. But Nate Fisher, who I think pitched three innings in Philly, and he had another great game in the minors not too long ago. He threw three scoreless innings with uh, Syracuse and two strikeouts. Could he be a possible option? I mean, you look at what he has provided in AAA, 1-3, with a 3.35 ERA. But the most important stat, right? Because we're talking about getting lefties out. Look at his splits. Against left-handed batters, they have a 188 batting average. But how about this? Against righties, 1.78. How is he not on this team right now? He could get lefties out, and he can get righties out. When I went on Tuesday, Joely Rodriguez couldn't even get lefties out. So I don't know what they're doing with that, and besides left-handed pitching help that's needed and the struggles that they've been going to, the Mets have been struggling to find a setup man to bridge the gap to Edwin Diaz, but that might have changed on Thursday, and I know Adam Adovino has had a pretty, pretty, pretty good year this season, 5-2, and 2.01 ERA, I mean, over the last fifth, uh, the last 30 games, let's go 30 games, 1.09 ERA. I mean, what more could you have asked from uh, Adam Adovino? And on Wednesday, he came in to the eighth, had a clean inning, one, two, three, comes in on Thursday after Edwin Diaz pitched the eighth to close the game, and he got the save, one, two, three. So I think now they may have really found their setup man, and he can close too, which is even better That's what we wanted from Seth Lugo. That is why, at the beginning of the season, I said, hey, if Edwin Diaz is pitching well, might want to use him as trade bait and let Lugo become the closer. Because he had proven in the past, in 2018, 2019, that he could close and that he could be the setup man. And he has not done that this year. He has actually not pitched as well as we'd hoped to his abilities. And kind of switch spots with Adam Adovino, who has been stellar this whole season. I know he had that one game where he gave up the the three-run home run in Atlanta. I prefer Adam Adovino coming in when nobody's on base for a clean inning. But sometimes you're going to have to bring him in. So that might be something to start testing this month to get him ready for October. To help out the bullpen as well. Tyler McGill is eyeing his return. And he began his rehab stint this week going... Uh, at, recording to Anthony DeComo, he struck out all three batters he's faced in his rehab's debut for Double A Binghamton. So he may be a late inning P 
piece. The Mets said they were going to put him in the bullpen. He's not going to start. So could this possibly be a Adam Wainwright type situation where, you know, Wainwright closed in 2006 and then they had him start as his career moved on and on? Maybe. But with Tyler McGill coming back with, uh, the emergence of Adam Adovino as a really reliable late-inning reliever. And I'm not saying he was never reliable. He was reliable all season. But I'm saying we're seeing more now that he could be a setup man. He could close sometimes because he's got three saves this season. Maybe it's finally turning for the Mets because they're going to have to really think hard. Buck, Billy, that management, and that whole coaching staff is really going to have to think hard on how they put together that bullpen come October. Now, my final notes before this train leaves the station. This weekend, Mets will send David Peterson, Max Scherzer, and the returning Cookie Carrasco. He's back, baby. He's going to the mound for a series against the last place Washington Nationals. And Jeff Passan tweeted this out and he goes one thing worth considering in the NL East race where New York holds a three-game lead the Mets have by far the easiest remaining schedule in baseball the combined winning percentage of their next 16 opponents after today 388 a 62 and 100 pace and they finish the season against the A's Marlins Braves and Nationals and then SNY SNY Mets I think it's a is it at SNY Mets? Because there's two pages, right? There's there's the Mets page, and then there is the SNY Mets page on Twitter. And they put, I think, the Braves and the Mets right next to each other. And the strength of the schedule for the Mets, they're first with a 447 winning percentage. The Braves have their opponents at 472 winning percentage. Strength goes to the Mets, and but the Mets and the Braves are going to duke this out probably until the last week of the season. Don't expect this division to end so quickly in September. It might come down to the last week. This might be, like I said last week, this might be Dodgers Giants from 2021. Don't be surprised. Could come down to the last game of the season. Don't be surprised. Well, that will wrap up this show. I had a lot of fun. You can follow Subway to Shea on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show and subscribe on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms I just mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. Let them know this is the podcast to listen to. If you're on Twitter, share it on Twitter. I know my good friend Carlos shares the podcast on Twitter. I got a couple other fans of the show that share it, and I appreciate them as well for doing it. You can even you know, share it if you see a fan walking by. You see a Mets fan with a hat on, say, hey. hey you know what? Why don't you listen to the Subway Shit Podcast? It's a good Met Podcast. If you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is without you. And because of you, Subway to Shea is global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also has reaches across the globe. So no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better for you each and every week. So by going on Apple Podcasts, leaving me stars, one to five, hopefully it's five, and a comment in the review section, it can help me to make this show run smooth every week. 
You can also rate the show on Spotify. I'm starting to see those ratings go up on Spotify, so I appreciate whoever has done it on Spotify. And don't forget, follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan side and network at Fan Thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you also very much. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Don't forget, listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Always remember, let's go Mets.